With all of that said, um, let's get ready to get into the word this morning. Um, I want I want to say at the outset here, as I did last week, today last week's message, today and for the next two, but probably three weeks, um, we have to we have to kind of uh, chew up this message a little bit differently than most messages because uh, really it's all one message broken down into pieces. And so last week, if you watch, if you didn't watch last week's message, more part one, you should go back and you should watch it uh, because today is going to build off of that. And then the next two or three weeks will build off of that as well. Um, and so last week, you, you kind of end in an odd spot. It, it, you know, as a, when I'm preaching, generally speaking, what I like to do is bring it to a conclusion where there's like one thing that, that kind of finishes up and ties it off and, and brings uh closure to the message, but last week and this week and the next couple weeks probably won't really be like that. It'll kind of be like an open-ended ending to these messages because they're all one. So I do want to encourage you, please, please, please listen to all of these messages as they're coming because they're really, really important, especially for the days that we're living in. And so last week we began talking about uh, the subject more. Uh, Is there more in our relationship with God that we can be pursuing than maybe we are right now. Is there is there more of God that we could receive into our lives, um, more of his work, more of him working through us? And the answer is yes, there is always more. Um, but the thing about it is sometimes there's a missing ingredient. Hey, Ann. Can I just get water? Thank you. Um, sometimes there's a missing ingredient. So last week, I'm not going to read this again. Because uh, I read it last week, but in Mark chapter 16, there's this really amazing passage. I, I, I love the end of Mark 16 because Jesus is kind of giving his final commission. He's, he's getting ready to go back to ascend to the Father. And kind of some of the last words he says to the disciples, he says, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to, to all the world. And, and I want you to baptize them in the name of the, the Father and the Son. And I want you to teach them. And I want you to, uh, I want you to know that when you, when you preach it and when you baptize them and when you're teaching them and you're discipling them, what I want you to know is that that, that, that ministry is going to come with great power. And so he says, you're going to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You, you, will, you will speak with new tongues. You will, you will um, trample on serpents and scorpions. And if you drink anything deadly. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we have to be, you know, a little bit off, I think, honestly, and, and go out and grab a poisonous snake because somehow the Bible told it. It didn't tell us that. What it was saying is that as you are moving forward in the purposes of God, that there will be a divine protection around you as you do what it is that God wants you to do and that the enemy won't be able to do anything to you until God says it's time for, it, for something to go on with you. So thank you. Thank you. Um, and so he he... he he lays out all of these things, and he says, what I want you to do is I want you to go out, and I want you to preach, and I want you to teach, and I want you to baptize, and I want you to disciple. And I also want you to know that when you do that, I'm going to back you up with great power. But the thing that happens in Mark 16 is that it says he, he told them these things, and then he, he essentially ascends to the Father, and then it says they just went out and they started doing all of those things. They started, they started uh, moving in power and authority and healings and all of that, and, and God was confirming their word with great signs and wonders. And if you only read Mark 16, 
we would be left with the conclusion. If that's all you had, you'd be left with the conclusion that Jesus just said that you, you go out and you do this, and then they just went out and they did it, and all of a sudden he's shown up and there was great power and things happening. But the problem is that's not really what happened. That's, that's just as, you know, if, you, if you're old like me and you remember Paul Harvey, he would say that there's got to be a rest of the story. Because there's something that happened in between that commission that Jesus gave them and when they actually went out and started working with the signs and wonders and seeing many thousands come very quickly into the kingdom of God and into faith in Jesus Christ. And, and what that was was there was, a, there was an infilling of the Holy Spirit that happened with them. I'm just giving you the, I'm giving you the spoiler here at the beginning. And so we talked a little bit about that last week. That that what they were that missing ingredient that we don't see in Mark uh, Matthew or excuse me Mark sixteen that missing ingredient is the the infilling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit in their lives, which which we see we'll see today in Acts chapter two. They were em- empowered by the Holy Spirit. So they didn't just go out and do the thing after Jesus said it. They went and they waited for the Holy Spirit to come, which we'll see today is what Jesus called the promise of the Father. And so what we need today in the church, because I think in the church today, we have a missing ingredient as well, is that we have people, and, and, and they're saved, definitely saved. They've, they've repented of their sins. They've come into relationship with God, and, and they're going to church, and they're praying, and they're doing all the stuff. And yet, at the same time, it feels like at times that their witness for Jesus does not come with any power. It's just a struggle. It's fear. Like, whenever you think about sharing your faith, with somebody. Fear rises up inside of you. Or, or in your personal life, there's, there, there are sins and there are things in your life that need to be shed and, and, and pruned off of your life. And it seems like you just can't overcome those things. And, and, and you're doing all the stuff and you know you're saved and you're on your way to heaven, but you're still struggling with sin or with whatever those things are that are going on. The, the Bible calls them the heavy weights, the sins, the things that easily beset us. And it seems like we can't get past those things. And, and we go, okay, well, I thought there was supposed to be this great empowering that when I received Jesus that all these things would just work themselves out in my life. And, and there are people that week after week, month after month, year after year, they're still struggling with the same things that they struggled with before. They still don't feel like they're producing any fruit. And, and we see in the scripture it says daily we're being added to the, you know, in the scripture in the book of Acts, you see 3,000 and 5,000. Daily we're added to the church. And sometimes in our churches, we're not seeing those, those, those new people coming in. We're not seeing uh, salvations and we're not seeing lives transformed the way that we see that in the book of Acts. And so what happens in the church is that we, we begin to build theology. Now, now. Here's what we do. We begin to be, build a theology around our experience instead of pressing our experience into the theology that, we're, that we receive from the word of God. So if we're struggling in our sin, we'll say, well, that's just the way it is. And I should not expect that I may be able to overcome this. If we're not seeing people come to faith in Christ, we'll build a theology that just says, well, it's dark times that we're living in and and it's bad times and there'll be a great falling away, which is true. 
That is true scripturally. But what we leave out is that God still works even in the dark times. God still saves. He still delivers. He still heals. And so when we don't see people being healed and being set free, we say, well, maybe those things were only for those days back there. And God has just left us to just struggle along on our own. And so we begin to build a theology around our experience instead of shaping our experiences around our theology and saying this is what the word of God says and so I'm going to pursue that thing in my life so that my life lines up with the word of God. I'm not trying to line the word of God up with my life or with my experience. Okay? And so sometimes in the church, the same missing ingredient that we kind of see there in, in that little transition in Mark chapter 16, we're missing that same ingredient in our own lives today many times. And so the promise that God gave the disciples back then and, and the same Holy Spirit that showed up and empowered them back then is the same Holy Spirit that is promised to us today. And that's really what I want to talk about today. And so one more time, I just want to remind you that I'm going to really focus in on some very specific quick things this morning. And, and it's only going to be a piece but this piece is very important because there are some arguments in the church that, that I want to address at the get-go. And, and, and this week and next week, I'm going to address those arguments. Because some, there are arguments, and, and I don't think that these are things, honestly. There are things that have to do with faith and doctrine and theology that should separate us from other people. If you don't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, then, then that is a thing that separates me from you and doctrine. But then there's things that we may disagree on doctrinally or theologically, but we, we, we're, we're together on core things. And so we don't want these things to, to cause divisions. And, and I, can, I can have a disagreement with a brother or sister of Christ about some things and still be in unity with them on the big things. I hope that makes sense. And so what, what I want to talk about today is there's some things that, that there are differing opinions on in, in, the, in the body of Christ as it relates to the empowering of the Holy Spirit, whether we get that at salvation or whether it's a second, um, a second work of God that he does in us after salvation. And so what I want to do today is I just want to present, because I fully, completely believe that the, the baptism, the infilling of the Holy Spirit the baptism in the Holy Spirit is, is a separate work from salvation. And I want to kind of lay out my case today and next week for that. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna dig, we're gonna dig a little bit, okay, today and next week. So let's look at this. Let me give you my bottom line here. My bottom line is this: is that fulfilled commission flows from a spirit-filled Christian. Fulfilled commission flows from a spirit-filled Christian. Christian. Now, if you forget a lot of the other stuff I might say today, I want you to remember this. Fulfilled commission flows from a spirit-filled Christian. Now, where does that come from? That comes from Mark 16. Because in Mark 16, there toward the end of the chapter, Jesus gave them a commission. He said, go and preach. Go and baptize. Go and teach. And when you do these things, do them with great power, with miracles, signs, and wonders following to confirm that word. So he gave them a commission, but they could not fulfill that commission until the Holy Spirit came and empowered them. 
Now, again, the differences we have in the body of Christ is some will say that, that, that baptism, that infilling comes when you receive Christ, and some believe it comes later. I believe that it comes later, and that's what I want to talk about. But the bottom line of the whole thing is, is that if we want to fill the, fulfill the commission that Christ has given us in the body of Christ, no matter where you lay on that spectrum, we have to have the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God operating in us for that to happen, okay? So today I want to talk about what, what Jesus called, um, if, if, you're, if you're in your home this morning, uh, turn to your husband or your wife, your kids or whatever and say, Jesus said it. If you're in the chat this morning, just put in the chat, just say, Jesus said it. So we can wake everybody up right now so that everybody that's looking at the chat can be reminded that what I'm about to say is what Jesus said. This is not, this is, what I'm about to lay out to you is not something that Pastor Tom came up with, you know, just I wanted to come up with something to talk about, so I came, this is what Jesus said. Okay, so in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus said this, he said, behold. Now, when Jesus says, behold, he's saying, he, he's basically, that's, that's Bible, that's Bible lingo for open your ears. Listen up. Clean your ears out and pay attention to what I'm about to say. So Jesus says, behold. I send the promise of my Father upon you. Okay? Now, who's doing the sending? This will be important not so much today but for next week. Who is doing the sending? It's Jesus. He says, I send the promise of my Father. And what is it that he is sending? He's sending the promise of his Father. Now, what we have to figure out is what that promise is. Okay? So he says, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Okay? I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now, what I want to lay out to you this morning is that as Jesus would say this to his disciples, so would he say it to us. Although we cannot go to Jerusalem necessarily to wait for the, the, uh, the enduing of power, we are to wait on God until we receive that power before we go out and we try to fulfill the commission that he's given us. Okay, And so that, that commission is somehow wrapped up in this promise, what Jesus calls the promise of the Father. In fact, I want to show you this because in a moment I'm going to read to you Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So before I read that, though, I want to read to you verse 4, and I don't have this in my, in my notes this morning, but I just wanted to share it with you. Luke 24, 49 is not the only place where Jesus mentions the promise of, of the Father. He says it again in Acts 1.8. Just before he ascends up into heaven, he mentions this again, and then he gives us the context and tells us what that promise is. Okay, so in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Now remember, Luke 24, he said, Go to Jerusalem and wait. Right? He says the same thing to them again here. He says, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Well, where did they hear that from him? They heard that from him back in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. So he says, remember when I told you back there that there was going to be a promise and you needed to wait for it. He says, I'm telling you again, as I did then, that you need to wait for this promise. And then he goes on in verse 5, and he says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days 
from now. Now, I want to stop right there for a minute, and I just want to say this. I want to focus on three questions here just in the next few minutes, okay? Three questions that we want to answer by the end of this, okay? And, and those questions are this, and, and they're in your notes. Again, if you don't have your notes, trc3.org, click on it. Just click on it. It'll download right to your phone or your tablet or whatever. Three questions this morning. First of all, what is the promise of the Father? The second question we want to ask is who is the promise for? And the third question is, is the promise automatic when we receive Christ? Because there, that third question is the one that kind, of, that, that kind of brings divisions in the church where it really shouldn't, but it does. Is There are some who say the Holy Spirit comes when you, when you get saved, and some people say no, it comes subsequent to that, after that. Okay, So we want to take a very quick look at those questions. So let's look at question number one right now. First of all, what is it? What is it? What is the promise of the Father? Now, in order to find out what the promise of the Father is, we have to, we have to rewind for 800 years from the time of Jesus. Okay? Because when Jesus talks about the promise of the Father, this is not something that had not been previously revealed in Scripture. It's just something that probably had not previously been understood in Scripture. Uh, prophecy is often like that. When we look at Old Testament prophecy... What do we see? We see all these great prophecies, but when the prophets wrote them down, they had no idea really what it was about. And so if we rewind about 800 years or so, give or take, uh, from the time of Jesus, we come back to the time of a prophet. There, there was a prophet uh, to, to, um, to the Israelites, and his name was Joel. Okay, And so Joel, uh, God speaks to Joel. And he gives him these really amazing prophecies. If you've never read the book of Joel, you should go read it because there's just, there's just very, very short, very, very short, but there's a massive amount of information in, in a very, very short book. And so in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, he says this, in 20, verse 28 and 29, he says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also on my men's servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now, I mentioned this last week, but it's an interesting thing uh, that sometimes, sometimes I think it's important for us to place ourselves in the context of what was going on. Uh, in the verses. When we, when we read Joel, we read it from a past tense. Okay, we, we can look in the scripture, we can see what Joel said, we can see what happened in the Gospels, we can see what happened in Acts, and, and we can see the writings of Paul and all this, and, and, the, and the other disciples, and we have an understanding, and, and we go, okay, yeah, this is what's going on, is that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. But you have to put yourself back there in the time of Joel for this really to take some, some uh, seed in our life for this reason. That when God said that to Joel, that was a revolutionary concept. Now, I mentioned this last week in the message, but just by way of reminder, when, when Joel receives this prophecy, God didn't work like that amongst his people. 
in the Old Testament, what would happen is that God would come on the prophet, the priest, the king, or whatever it is, mostly the prophet for this, for this particular thing to bring a message to the people. He would come to the prophet, and he would, he would anoint the prophet. He would put a spirit in the prophet. He would speak to the prophet. And then all of the other people would just do what the prophet told them to do. And that's how God worked. But when God comes to Joel, he says there's going to be a day when it's not going to be like that anymore. He says there's going to be a day when, when just the same way that I come on you, Joel, or that I come on Isaiah or Jeremiah or Moses back in the day or any of the prophets along the way, there's going to become a day when I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. That you won't have to go to the prophet to get a word from God. That you won't have to go to the, to the special one. That you won't have to go to the anointed one because you can be the anointed one. And it wasn't just a man thing or, or that. Like, you know, back in those days, this was revolutionary as well. Because back in those days, it would just be the guys that were doing everything. They, they were, the, 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 the prophets would be the men, and the leaders would be the men, and the, the priests would be the men and the king. But, but Joel, when he speaks to Joel, he says that the, the, the prophets will be among the men and the women. Now, I know that's controversial, but watch this, watch this, watch this. Because you'll be like, oh, no, you, look what you're doing, you heretic. I'm just going to read you the Bible. It says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And so he says, not only is it going to be just, I'm not just going to come on one or a few of the prophets, but I'll come on all, everybody. It's just, it's, it's beyond that even that it's not just going to be the men that I anoint, but that it'll be the women too, that I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now, we look at it from this side of history and go, yeah, okay, yawn. And as we're sitting in our pajamas drinking a cup of coffee this morning, we'll, we'll sip on our coffee and say, all right, Pastor, get on to something we don't know. But listen, put yourself back in the time of Joel and think how revolutionary that actually was when he would say that to Joel. This is a completely different concept than anything that they had been working under according to what God was doing in the Old Testament. But he says, I am going, and who is it that's saying this to Joel? It's the Father. So what you might call this in Joel 2, 28 and 29 is the promise of the Father. What is, what is the promise? That there will be a day when I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That, I, that it won't be just the special one. You know, we got folks in the church doing that today. They run around and they're going to be like, I'm the prophet, I'm the apostle, I'm this and that, and you need to come to me. And you need, and listen, the, the word of God tells us there, that we were given in the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But what were they given for? For the equipping of the saints, for the work, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So the work of ministry comes by the empowering of the Holy Spirit, and those leaders just help guide that and equip for that okay and yet there are those that'll say well if you want a word from God you got to come to me if you want a word from me you come to me the the right prophet Joe Bob or the the right apostle Jimmy Jimmy Joe or whatever it is but listen to me God said the promise of the father he said I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh so that you can get a word from God just like anybody else can get a word from God in fact if you want a word from God open up your Bible and you'll have a word from God every day all day every day Okay, And so he says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now, now that is the promise of the Father. 
But here's the thing that happened is that he that Joel prophesied this, and then eight centuries, give or take. There, there's some controversy about when Joel was was written, I realize, so don't don't at me in the comments if you have a differing opinion. But but many scholars believe that Joel was probably written about eight hundred or so years before Christ. Okay? And so you got to fast forward 800 years. And this prophecy that Joel gave 800 years ago still hasn't happened. Right? And in fact, for the last 400 years in Israel, they hadn't even really had a prophet from God. Okay? And so you got to put, your, put yourself in that place. For 800 years, we've had a promise. The promise has not come yet. For the last 400 years, we haven't really had a prophet. And then all of a sudden, this this crazy guy, John the Baptist, comes up out of nowhere, and he starts preaching. And then we fast forward to Jesus, and Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to know that the promise that that God spoke to Joel 800 years ago, I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait there until that promise comes upon you. Now, again, revolutionary. Can you imagine what Peter would think about that or James or John? An 800-year-old prophecy, and he says, I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I don't want you to do anything else until you receive that promise into your lives individually and personally. Okay? A lot of times in the church, we're a little bit impatient. If we think something needs to happen, we get a problem. We get a thing like, I feel like this is what God wants me to do. And we just run out and we try to do it and we can't figure out why it ain't working. It's because we aren't waiting for the promise of the, God, of, of the Father. Okay? And so what, what is that promise? The promise is what, what God spoke through Joel is that he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. And so here we are, fast forward 800 years, and Jesus says now is the time for this promise to come to fruition in the lives of you disciples and you apostles. And what we're going to see is it's not only for them or even for that first generation, which is another little discrepancy we have in the body is, is some will say, well, that only happened then, but it doesn't happen now. And scripturally speaking, that's not the pattern. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Okay, and so so Jesus says to his disciples, "Go to Jerusalem and wait, and 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 wait for that empowering." Now, in Acts chapter one, verse eight, if you happen to still be there, if you move down to verse eight, there it says this: He, he Jesus says in verse four, "I want you to wait for the promise that you have heard from me," and then in verse eight, he says this: He says, "And you shall receive power." Now, I want, I want you to notice a couple words here. In Joel 2.28, it says, and it shall come to pass. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, but you shall receive power. What, what I want to say to you this morning is this, that, the, that this empowering of the Holy Spirit that I'm talking to you about is something that you shall receive. If you have not already, now many of you watching and listening, you may have already received this. And you need to continue to walk in that consistently. Later on, we'll get to the fact that it's not a one-time event, but that's coming. But listen, you shall receive. It's the promise of the Father. Some people struggle with with the empowering or the infilling of the Holy Spirit because they're seeking it and they don't feel like they get it and and they don't feel like the right stuff is happening and all that kind of stuff. And I've known over the years because I've been in the church a long time that people get discouraged and say, well, maybe maybe it's just not for me. But listen, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
If you need a fresh, a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, he shall come upon you in a fresh way. It's a, it's a consistent thing. So he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, for us to bring this promise into our lives, we have to realize that, that we, we have to put ourselves in that place. I will receive the empowering of, of the Father, of the Holy Spirit. I will be a witness for him, and I will be a witness for him in ever-increasing influence. Let's say it that way. That, that for us here, if you're part of the Refuge Church this morning, that we might say it this way. You will receive power and you will be a witness in Coos Bay and North Bend and Coos County and Oregon to the United States and to the world. But you got to start with where you're at. you got to bloom where you're planted. Amen? A lot of times we want to run off and be like, I'm going to be a missionary here or over there. And if God calls you to that, good, you better go. But listen, a lot of times we're thinking we'd have to go somewhere else or do something else to, to really see God move in our life. And actually the pattern of the New Testament here is that we bloom where we're planted. And so what you need to do is you need to get filled with the promise and filled with the Holy Spirit. And then just begin right where you're at and be a witness where you're at. Okay? In the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So let's move on. So he says, but you shall receive power. Now that word power, and I've got this on my notes, is the word dunamis or dynamis. Uh, there's a couple different ways to pronounce that, okay? And, and I want to focus in on a couple words if you happen to be in your notes here. Is that this word really in the overall, it means strength, power, or ability. That's in your notes there. Ability. Just, just just, mark that in there, that I get strength, that I get power, that I get an ability. Now, in, in the definition, this is from Strong's Concordance, in the definition, it goes on and it begins to, to expand on what that strength, what that power, and what that ability is. And so I know this is a little bit lengthy, but I feel like it's important. So let's look through this. It's inherent power. What does inherent mean? It's just there. It's just there. I don't have to try to work it up. I don't have to try to squeeze it out. I don't, I don't have to speak in tongues enough to make, it, to make it work. I don't have to yell. I don't have to scream. I don't have to run around. I don't have to do It's just there because the Holy Spirit is in me. Amen? So it's inherent. Uh, there's a power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature or which a person, a thing, exerts and puts forth. I want to say more about that, but I don't want to take too much time this morning. It's just there because the Holy Spirit is inside of you. If, you. if you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, there is a power that is inside of you that really doesn't have anything to do with you, but it manifests through you, and it's just there. Sometimes we have to have a little bit of faith in the things of God because we think if I'm going to be a witness... If, if I'm going to overcome my sin, if I'm going to live the life that God has called me to live, then somehow or another I've got to work it up. I've got to work really hard. I've got to read enough, pray enough, do enough, and then maybe, just maybe, I'll get there. But listen to me. When the Holy Spirit comes into you, it's just in you, and you receive it by faith, and you just let him do his work. Just let him do his work because when we don't let him do his work, we get in the way of his work. When we're trying to work everything out on our own and figure it out on our own, we get in the way of just letting him do what it is that he wants. And listen to me, that's the adventure of faith in Christ is just rolling with the flow of where it is that he takes us, what it is that he guides us into, and just let him do his work and see where he takes you. 
Some of you this morning, I just feel like there's something on this. You just need to just chill out a little bit. Just chill out and quit trying to work so hard. Quit trying to overanalyze everything and just let God do what he's going to do in you. Just let him fill you up and work through you. Because the power that you receive is a thing that's just there by virtue of what it is. Amen? And so, if we move on there, the power for performing miracles. Now think about that for a minute. The power to perform miracles resides inside of you when you get filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you do a miracle? No. Can I? You know, I've had people over the years that are like, pray for me, so pray for me and heal me. And my first response is always, I can't heal any, I can't do anything. I can't heal you. I can't set you free. I can't deliver you. But the Holy Spirit that resides inside of me certainly can. And so my faith is not in whether I can work up enough faith. My faith is in the Spirit of God that is inside me, the promise of the Word of God that I carry with me. And when those two things come together, then healing can flow in the room. Deliverance can flow. Freedom can flow if you will just allow that power to work inside of you. Let's kick on to the next one. Uh, the next one is moral power and excellence of soul. If you're struggling overcoming your sin and, and your failures and all that kind of stuff in your life, you need the empowering of the Holy Spirit because there is a, an inherent moral power for the excellence of your soul that resides in you because the Holy Spirit is inside of you. If you're struggling in overcoming your sin, you just need to get filled up with the Holy Spirit. Amen? So let's move on here. The power and influence which belong to riches and wealth. I want you to notice that that does not say that you necessarily will get riches and wealth. But you can get the influence that comes with that. And I'm just going to leave that, this with this. When you have a lot of money, how much influence can come with that? Just look at our world today. If Jeff Bezos from Amazon says a thing, then that thing's probably going to happen. If, if Bill Gates says a thing, that thing's probably going to happen, right? If, all, if, if, if the guy that runs Apple says a thing, the thing's probably going to happen. But listen to me. When the Holy Spirit comes in, because sometimes we're like, well, we don't have enough money. We don't have enough resources. We don't have enough of this. We don't have enough of that. Listen to me. When you get filled up with the Holy Spirit, God, he brings that influence to your life, even if you don't have any of that stuff. You can just walk into the room and be the most powerful person in the room, not because of anything you have, but because of who it is that is inside of you. Amen. Someone ought to just say amen to that in the comments there or something. I don't know. Um, the next one is power consisting in or resting upon armies, forces, or hosts. So you have the power of armies inside of you. Are we off? Okay. We have the power of armies resting inside of us when we are filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so, he's, that, and so back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. So I want to let you know this morning that that power is available to you. That is, it's available to you. Now, you might say, how is that, that possibly available to me? I'm just a frail human being. Listen, the thing that we need to understand is that the power of the promise cannot come by human means anyway. This is in your notes. The power of the promise cannot come by human means. It can only come by means of the Holy Spirit. So if you're weak, hey, good, amen. If, if, you're, if, you're, if you're like, I can't do it because I'm not good enough, 
Amen to that. If you say, I don't have the, the, the strength, the power, the ability, amen to that. I don't have the wealth. I don't have the resources. Amen to that. Because this kind of power and this kind of the, a move to be a witness for Christ in your life, this kind of power to overcome sin and to overcome failure cannot come by any of your human means. It can only come by the power of the Holy Spirit. So then that leads to the question, is that power really for all of us? Or is it only for the special ones? So let's look at this point number two, this part number two. Who's it for? And this one's really quick. This one's really quick because it's pretty cut and dry. I don't have to give you any Greek words, any Hebrew words. I don't have to do 49,000 scriptures. I don't have to spend a lot of time on it. Who is this promise for? I just need you to look at one verse. I just need you to look at one verse. Okay, and that's going to be in Acts chapter 2, verse 39. So I want to read verse 38 leading into that. It says this, because Peter's preaching his first message, and, they, and they, they're basically they're saying, what is it that we need to do to be saved? And Peter says this in verse 38. He says, then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, now, just very quickly, I want you to notice there's three things that happen right there. There are three different things that happen right there, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks, but let me just put them in there in passing. First of all, he says what you need to do is repent. Repentance brings you into salvation, okay? When you repent, you, ask, you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins, you are saved. And then he says you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to notice there what Peter says from the outset of this whole thing is repent, get saved, get baptized, get filled with the Holy Ghost. Those are three different things that he said there. Now, we'll get to that next week or the week after. But watch this in verse 39. Who is the promise for? Verse 39, he says, the promise is to you, to your children, to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. The promise is to you, your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So essentially, your notes there, it says the promise is for anyone who is called by God. Well, how do I know if I'm called by God? Are you saved? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've confessed your sins, repented of your sins, turned your faith to Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus, the cross of Christ, his death and his resurrection, if you have done that, then the promise of the Father is for you. The promise of the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is for you. There's no argument. There's no, I was a really bad sinner. There was no, I was a sinner, and then I was walking with God, then I became a sinner again, and then I walked with God. There's none of that. There's no, I was raised in the church. I wasn't raised in the church. There's no, I'm an American. I'm an Egyptian. I'm an Israelite. There's, there, there's no Greek. There's no, there's no Hebrew. There's no Jew. There's no Gentile. There's no black, white. There's nothing. There is those who have repented and received Jesus Christ as their Savior. So I would say this, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then the promise is not for you, but it could be if you will confess your sins and come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's very simple, okay? 
But if you have repented, you've confessed, you're, you're saved, you're, you're, you're on your way to heaven, then the promise of the empowering of the Holy Spirit is for you. Cut, dry, simple. Okay? That's, that's it. The promise is for you. Well, I've been praying about it and I haven't received it yet. The promise is for you. Well, I don't know if I understand. Do I have to speak in tongues? I ain't talking about speaking in tongues. I'm talking about receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you. We'll talk more about that in the days coming. Who's it for? It's for anyone who is called by God. And if you are saved in, under the blood of Jesus, walking with God, you are called and the promise is for you. The last thing I want to say this morning is this. Number three, is the promise automatic at salvation? Because here's the thing that trips up a lot of believers. Because, because they'll say, when I get saved, I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the, 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 the little conundrum about this is that that's true. Because there, there are a lot, of, a lot of good brothers and sisters in Christ, and they'll say, when you get saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. He begins working in your life. And that's true. It's actually a little bit untrue because the Holy Spirit is already working in your life before you get saved. Because the word of God is clear, unless we're, unless we're drawn by the Father through the Holy Spirit, then none of us would get saved anyway. And so the Holy Spirit is already working in our lives before we get saved. But when we come to faith in Christ, what we'll see next week, and this is amazing, what next week we'll see that when we, when we uh, accept Christ into our lives, when we come into salvation, we are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. Okay, so we do, we do see the Holy Spirit begin working in our life, but that happens even before we get saved. So the question is, do we get everything of the Holy Spirit when we receive salvation, or is there a, a second work that happens after that, which I believe is definitely true, and which I believe clearly, 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 clearly. If you're in, the, in chat, type clearly. Clearly the New Testament pattern Clearly, the New Testament pattern is that the infilling of the Holy Spirit is a separate work from salvation. It began that way, and in the book of Acts, it ends that way. Okay? And, and we're going to look at this over the next uh, two or three weeks. But watch this. If you're in your notes, write this. The Holy Spirit operates in our lives when we receive Christ, but there is a second empowering work of the Spirit promised to believers, and that is what I believe is the missing ingredient in many believers' lives. Let me read that one more time, and then we're going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The Holy Spirit operates in our lives when we receive Christ, but there is a second empowering work of the Spirit promised to believers. So, so they'll say, you know, many good brothers and sisters that I love, and I will go shoulder to shoulder, and I will fight for the things of God with. I will not be separated them from them because of the, these doctrinal things. But they will say, there is no baptism in the Holy Spirit, that you just get it when you get saved. And I believe that clearly that is not the New Testament pattern. Okay, so let's look very quickly. We're going to just, we're going to touch on this today and then we're going to finish because we're going to wrap up this morning. In Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 it says this. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now why were they in one accord in one place? This, this does need to be mentioned. The reason they were in one accord in one place is because they were being obedient to the word of Jesus when he told them to go and wait for the promise of the Father. 
So when they were together in one accord in one place, they were waiting for that endowment of power. They were waiting for the promise of God. I want you to notice, Peter didn't run out and start trying to preach the gospel until this power came. They didn't run out and start any house churches or any ministries or, or any house to house or any evangel. They didn't do anything. When Jesus ascended to heaven, they went and they tarried, which means they waited. They waited for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, which was promised to them by Jesus. That's why they're together in one accord in one place. Okay? And so he says, and suddenly, verse 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were all filled. I want you to notice those two words. If you are a Bible underline person, highlight person, write it in your notes, whatever, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. I want you to notice that it was more than the 12 apostles, well, 11 at this point, because Judas was hanging off a ditch somewhere. There was the, the, the disciples were there, but there were also a bunch more people there praying with them. And when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, it fell on all of them. All of them began to speak in tongues. All of them began to prophesy the great things of God. This promise is for all of you. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, God told Joel back in 800 years before that in Joel chapter 2. So the Holy Spirit fell on all of them, and they all were filled with the spirit. They all began to speak in tongues, and they all uh, began to speak and prophesy as the Spirit gave them the utterance. You'll notice later, which verse I'm not reading, they were not only speaking in tongues and speaking in other languages, they were also prophesying the great things of God. Now let me ask you this question, because I'm talking about clear New Testament patterns. And if you, you'll hang with me five minutes here, we're, at, we're done, we're out of here, okay? Clear New Testament patterns, clear patterns in the book of Acts. Were the disciples saved Previous to the Holy Spirit falling upon them. Now, I know what the arguments will be. Hold on to your argument just for a minute. Let me make this point clearly. Were they saved before the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost? And the answer to that clearly is yes. They, Jesus had already died. He had already rose from the dead. He had already ascended back to heaven. That was in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. So the fullness of salvation had already come. Because some people say, well, the Holy Spirit moved in the disciples because there was a special thing that they got from Jesus. You know, and, and, you know Jesus sent them out and gave them authority in, during his time of his ministry on this earth. And that's true. But I want you to notice here, Jesus had died he had rose again, he had ascended to heaven, and they had believed on his message. They had believed on his death and resurrection. They were all saved by the blood of the Lamb. And yet they had not received the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Now I know the argument. Hold on to your argument. We're going to get there in a minute. Okay? I just wanted to lay out this, this pattern here. They were already saved when they were in the upper room, and there, there came a second empowering of the Holy Spirit after salvation. So my question is, if the Holy Spirit empowerment comes when we get saved, then why did they not receive the Holy Spirit at the time when Jesus rose from the dead? 
Or why didn't they receive it when Jesus said, you shall receive power? Why was it that they had to go and wait for that to come subsequent to Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension back to heaven? This is good preaching. I don't care who you are. Okay? This is good preaching. Because if it was a thing that you get at salvation, Jesus could have just rose from the dead and then came and said, hey, everybody receive the Holy Spirit. And yet he didn't do that. He said, go and wait for it to come to you. Okay? This is very, very important. Because this lays out the beginning of the pattern of the New Testament. That it happens like this all through the book of Acts. Okay? And so we see that they were, they were saved under the new covenant of Jesus' blood. And yet there was a second empowering that came. Now, here's the argument. It had to come like that to initiate the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And so it had to happen like that in the beginning because that's just the way that it needed to happen. And, I, and so, okay, let's, let's talk about that. And I'm going to hit on this briefly, then we're going to pick it up, okay? Let's talk about that briefly. Is that true? Is it only something, because they'll say, well, it only happened that time. Or it only happened with the, with the disciples, but it didn't happen after that. And so today it's not relevant. Again, what are we doing? We're building a theology around our experience instead of shaping our experiences around good theology. Okay? That's, that's very important. And so I want to look at Acts chapter 19. Now, when I read this, you'll say, well, see, that doesn't prove anything. Because that was, you know, Acts chapter 2 happened and then Acts chapter 19 happened. It's the same thing. It was all at the very beginning. What we forget is that Acts chapter, excuse me, the book of Acts does not happen over the course of hours. It, it happens over the course of decades. Okay? This is super important. Okay? So I'm going to say that again. I'm going to take a drink of water because I want you to ponder on this for a second. The book of Acts did not happen over hours or days. The book of Acts happened over decades. Okay, let me get a drink because my mouth is dry. Everybody say good preaching uh, in the chat this morning. I need somebody to, to I need someone to, to, to I, I'm sitting here by myself. I got no amens in the room this morning. So, now watch this. When we get to Acts chapter 19, we have to realize when Acts chapter 19 happened. Acts chapter 19 didn't happen the day after Acts chapter 2. It didn't happen a week after. It didn't happen a month after. It didn't happen a year after. Acts chapter 19 is probably somewhere between 23 and 30 years after Acts chapter 2. Between two and a half and three decades later, right? Two and a half to three decades later, we come to Acts chapter 19. All right, and so when we get to Acts 19, we see this, and I'm, I'm, I'm just about done. Verse 2, Acts 19, verse 2, it says, so he, so Paul, context sake, Paul comes, Paul is traveling around preaching, he's doing all the stuff, and he comes to Ephesus, okay? This is where we read about Ephesians, the book of Ephesians and the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation, okay? He comes to Ephesus, and he finds these people that were believers, in verse 2, he said, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said, now that's an odd question to ask. That if the Holy Spirit comes when you believe, now there's, there's a, two layers to this. I'm going to get to it, so don't shout at me. Okay, But that's an interesting question to ask. He comes to these, this group of people. There's about 12 of them, it says. 
And he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, I know there's a double layer of this believing here. But it's an interesting question that Paul asks them because it would seem, now, now this is hard to preach and I want to get done here. So just think on this for a minute. Paul asks them two questions. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And then he asked them, what baptism that you did, did you get baptized by? So it would, it, would, it would seem as though, at least possibly, Paul saw these folks who were believers and wanted to know in their belief if they had received the empowering of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Because so, why did he ask him that question? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? If it's automatic, why did he ask him if they received it two and a half to three decades after Pentecost? If it's an automatic, that's just an interesting thing to think about. And so they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what were you baptized? Okay, so Paul's getting a little bit of clarity here on things. So they said into John's baptism. Now I want to point out here that John's baptism was not a saving baptism of faith in Christ. Okay. So he, they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. So he says, you were baptized into John's baptism, but John was talking about Jesus, so you also need to get baptized into Jesus. Okay? Good, so far? Verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke with tongues and they prophesied. Now there were, there were about 12 men. There, the men were about 12 in all. Okay, so we're about two and a half to three decades after Pentecost. Paul comes and asks this group of people, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now it would seem like Paul's thought initially may have been that they had been baptized into Christ. They had not yet. And so he says, you got to get baptized into Christ. They get baptized into Christ. And I want you to notice, when they were baptized into Christ, the Holy Spirit did not come upon them. They had repented. They had now been baptized into Christ, and the Holy Spirit still had not come upon them. It, it did not, the Holy Spirit did not come upon them when they were baptized into John's baptism. The Holy Spirit did not come upon them when they were baptized into Christ. It says, when Paul laid his hands on them, then they spoke with tongues and they prophesied. And they, these men were 12 in all. Now, the speaking in tongues and prophesying is an evidence of the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that because that becomes a giant hang-up for a lot of people. And, and I'm going to address that in the, in the next couple weeks, okay? But what I want to point out there is that after they were baptized, after they were baptized into Christ, then Paul laid his hands on them and there was another work that happened where they received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So again, I just want to keep reiterating, we're about a quarter century past the day of Pentecost. So if in, in all of these, and we're, I'm going to, okay, here's where we're going to end on a very open-ended place, okay? Because I'm right in the middle of a thought, and I realize that, but we're going to pick it up next week. What I want to begin to lay out to you today is, is the evidence scripturally, okay? I don't want, I don't want... I'm not going to give you Church of God doctrine, okay? Although I think the Church of God doctrine is pretty close, okay? 
I'm not going to give you Church of God doctrine. I'm not going to give you Baptist doctrine. I don't want to give you. I don't want to give you. Um, I, I don't want to give you Pentecostal charismatic. I don't want to give you whatever kind of doctrine. I want to simply look into the scriptures and see what the scriptures say, and then I want to present that to you and say, okay, what do we do with what the scripture says? Yeah, but Pastor Joe said. Listen, I don't even care that you care what Pastor Tom says. We want to look to the scripture and see what the scripture says, and that's what we need. We, we don't want to shape our theology around our experience. We want to shape our experience around good theology. We want to pursue what the Word of God says until our experience lines up with the Word, not the Word with our experience. Okay, so what we begin to see is there is a promise that God has given us, okay? And Jesus spoke of that promise, and he said that promise is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. When that Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power to be a witness you will receive power that when you witness that there will be miracles that back that witness up. You will receive the power to overcome your sin, overcome your, that's that moral power and excellence of soul. You will receive power to overcome sin. You will receive power to overcome your weakness. You will receive power, of the power of influence. You will receive the power of armies. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what I say to you this morning as I'm getting ready to close is that the same promise given back then is applicable to you today. Now, there are more things for me to say about this in the next coming weeks, but I want, and we'll talk about how to receive that and all of that, but I want to let you know at the outset, you don't have to wait till next week's message to begin to seek the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait till somebody lays a hand on you. In fact, we're not even gathering for the next week. So that we're not laying hands on anybody. You don't have to have anybody lay hands on you. You don't have to wait for the next sermon. You don't have to wait till this message is over. You just need to get alone with God and say, Holy Spirit, just come and fill me. You need to know that that comes through Jesus, that Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And just say, Jesus, baptize me in the fire. Baptize me in the Holy Ghost. Empower me to do the work that you've called me to do. You say, well, do I need to speak in tongues? Listen to me. I did not say one word about pursuing after speaking in tongues. Because when you pursue speaking in tongues, you get all amped up and you can't receive from God. Because we're not pursuing tongues. We're not pursuing prophecy. We're not pursuing the gifts. We're pursuing the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So just go after that. Just get, get alone by yourself and just say, Jesus, baptize me in your Holy Spirit. And you say, well, how do, I, how do I receive it? You receive it by faith. Again, we're going to talk about this more in the next weeks. But you receive it by faith. You don't have to work it up. You don't, you don't have to try to, to squeeze it out. You don't have to try to not sin enough. You, don't, you just say, Lord, by faith, I receive the baptism. By faith, I receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And you just let God do his work in your life. Seek the gift, not the, the, the excuse me, seek the giver of the gift, Jesus. Seek the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. Seek Jesus. Seek the Holy Spirit. Don't seek, don't seek to do anything or to pray a certain way. Just seek Jesus. Seek the Holy Spirit.
And if you'll begin to do that now, I believe he's going to begin to fill you. If you've already received, you say, well, I don't need this message, Pastor, because I, back when I was 13 years old at, at youth camp, I, 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 I spoke in tongues and I received the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and I don't need it again. Listen to me. Ephesians makes it clear, and we'll talk about it in the next couple of weeks, that this is a continual, that we need to continually be filled, that we need to be filled and filled again and filled again. Because yesterday's anointing, the anointing that came on you for living when you were 13 years old, ain't gonna, unless you're 13 today, is not going to cut it for you today. Right? I, I know some folks in the church have been walking with Jesus for 50 years saying, thank God that he baptized me in the Holy Spirit when I was 12 years old. It's like, good, I'm so thankful that God baptized you when you were 12. But did God baptize you today? Did he baptize you, did he baptize you freshly? Are you freshly walking in the power and the authority of God? If not... Just get with him. This is not a, oh, no, a judgment thing because I haven't got it. Listen, just get with him. Get into the secret place. Spend some time with God. We're going to talk more about this in the next coming weeks, but mostly I want to leave you with this open-ended thing today. Just begin to seek him. We, we are in a season in this church. Listen to me. I know that, that this Sunday and next Sunday and this week we're not going to be meeting together, but I do not want you to lose sight of the thing that God is doing in this church that he's been doing. Over the last few weeks and the last couple months, that there is a major, major work of God that's happening right now. I want to encourage you in that. The enemy is not winning right now. Uh, the enemy is not stopping anything that God is trying to do, that we are moving forward. And in order to move forward, we have to continually seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. So I want to encourage you in that this week. Just seek him. So let's pray this morning. Thank you for being here. Uh, 6 o'clock tonight, ladies that are part of the discipleship group, check in on the messenger chat. I'll post some things on the men's page tonight for the Sunday night group. And if you're part of the men's group on Wednesday and you have some thoughts to add to the, uh, the chapter one stuff from our group, throw that in there. It'll be helpful to the, the Sunday night guys. Um, if you're not able to jump in right in tonight, that's okay. Uh, it'll be available to you. You can check the messenger, check the, the Facebook for the men's discipleship. Um, and uh, let's just stay connected in that way. Amen. And then uh, next week, hopefully, we'll be able to get back up and running uh, as we need to be. So let's pray this morning. Thank you, Father, for your presence in the worship and the word, uh, your presence in, in living rooms and kitchens and bedrooms. And, and uh, Lord, if there are people that are listening to this later on podcast or whatever it is, that your presence would be uh, present in every area. Lord, we ask for a fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit. Jesus, uh, all four Gospels tell us that, Jesus, that you are the one that baptizes us in the Holy Ghost and fire. And so we ask for fresh baptism. Lord, that, that, that distance of, of um, uh, apart from each other physically, Lord, does not hinder your, the move of your Spirit. So I just pray right now as, as we're closing, Lord, that you would... Let there be a fresh and filling of your spirit. For those that have re already received the baptism of, and have walked in that for many years, I pray for a fresh touch, a fresh anointing right now to just descend on their home. Uh, Lord, for those that may not have ever received that, that gift of the Father, Lord, I pray that, that this would be the season when they would receive it brand new. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would descend into their homes, into their cars, into uh, the place where they're walking or running, where the podcast, whatever it is, Lord, that you would descend on them, that you would fill them, 
that you would empower them to be a witness, that you would empower them to be an overcomer. And uh, we thank you for that today. Lord, I pray uh, a special blessing on everyone that's listening this morning, as, as always, um, specifically this week, that uh, for our church and for the, the, the churches that are endeavoring, Lord, to um, continue to be faithful to preach your word and that, uh, that healing would reign, that healing would be, that you would place a hedge of protection around every family of the refuge church, that you place a hedge of protection around every family in the body of Christ. Lord, I pray for Coos County, Father God, that you would uh, just begin to do a supernatural work of ridding this county of this virus. Uh, Lord, we, we need wisdom and, and discretion, and, and uh, we need to move forward in the smart ways, and, and we're endeavoring to do that as well. But we pray for a supernatural move of your Holy Spirit, that, uh, that you would stop this virus. And Lord, for those that are suffering across this county and across this world right now that are suffering with that virus, we ask that your healing anointing would flow out right now, that every symptom would just begin to dissipate. Um, and uh, that there would be a great move of healing in Jesus' name. And we thank you for that. And Lord, as we close, I pray for everyone that's listening. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. And uh, thank you for being here this morning.